It's really great to be with you this morning, and we're continuing in a series uh, called On Second Thought. On Second Thought. And the title of this morning's message is My Rights Aren't As Important As You. On Second Thought, My Rights Aren't As Important As You. And we're continuing a series through 1 Corinthians. Um, for those of you that haven't been with us, uh, the, the Apostle Paul uh, is writing a letter in response to a letter written to him from uh, the Corinthian church. It's a church that he planted, that he established. And what we see here in uh, chapter 7 through 11, which is the, the chunk that we're talking about through this series, uh, in chapter 8, which we're going to focus on this morning, we see a shift. Uh, in chapter 7, he talked a lot about marriage and sexuality and a lot of different topics. And then we see a shift in chapter 8, where he begins to uh, respond to uh, a question concerning uh, meat offered to idols. And so that's what we're going to talk about this morning. And uh, we're going to go ahead and read through chapter 8 of 1 Corinthians. So if you have your Bibles, you can follow along. That's not to be projected on the screens. Or if you're on the app, obviously. So beginning at verse 1, then going on through verse 13, it says this. Now concerning food offered to idols, we know that all of us possess knowledge. This knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. If anyone imagines that he knows something, he does not yet know as he ought to know. But if anyone loves God, he is known by God. Therefore, as to the eating of food offered to idols, we know that an idol has no real existence, and that there is no God but one. For although there are, I'm sorry, for although there may be so-called gods in heaven or on earth, as indeed there are many gods, little g, and many lords, well, yet for us there is one God, the Father, from whom all things and for whom we exist, and one Lord, Jesus Christ, through whom are all things and through whom we exist. However, not all possess this knowledge, but some, through former association, association with idols, eat food as really offered to an idol. And their conscience, being weak, is defiled. Food will not commend us to God. We are no worse off if we do not eat, and we are no better off if we do. But take care that this right of yours does not somehow become a stumbling block to the weak. For if anyone sees you who have known, I'm sorry, who have knowledge, eating in an idol's temple, will he not be encouraged, if his conscience is weak, to eat food offered to idols? And so by your knowledge, this weak person is destroyed, the brother for whom Christ died, thus sinning against your brothers and wounding their conscience. When it is weak, you sin against Christ. Therefore, if food makes my brother stumble, I will never eat meat, lest I make my brother stumble. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we're thankful to be in your presence. We're thankful that we have the opportunity to gather in your presence. And so, Lord, I pray that as um, we lean in this morning, that we would hear from you, Lord, that uh, your spirit would speak to us directly and uniquely so that we could leave this place processing what it is that your spirit would have us to process and think about. We pray all these things in your name. Amen. Amen. I had a lot of thought as I uh, considered rights and what it looks like to, uh, to impose rights and I have a, um, a hate relationship with lima beans. Um, I literally hate lima beans. Uh, I will eat just about any food 
besides that which I appear to be allergic to, um, or at least try things. I'm more of a texture person, but lima beans are like um, eating like softer chalk. I have no use for them at all. I'm like, oh, they're good, put butter on them. I'm like, no, I've tried that. It's disgusting. And have you salted them? Yeah, it doesn't matter. Like, I don't want a lima bean anywhere near my plate. For those of you that really love lima beans, um, I don't know what's wrong with you. Uh, but, no, it's just, I, I have no use for them at all. And when I was a kid, we actually have childhood pictures of me sitting at the table, and my parents could tell that I was going to be kind of strong-willed because there's pictures of me, like, holding my head up like this, asleep with a bowl of lima beans in front of me because they said you can't leave the table until you eat your lima beans. And I was like, I guess I'm sleeping here. And uh, so it just, it never worked out well. And uh, the battle continued all the way through. In fact, to this day, um, we have not served lima beans in our home and uh, my kids will never have to eat them <laughs> because they're a sin against humanity. Um, but <laughs> I remember at one point, I'm not sure if I was a preteen, I tried to think about it, I'm not sure if, I, I think I was a preteen, I was learning in uh, social studies as it was called then, or global studies or something, I can't remember what it was called, but I had learned, uh, we were learning about democracy and about our rights. And uh, I was sitting at the table that night and lima beans were served and uh, I said, I'm, I'm actually not gonna eat them. And my dad's like, wow, this never ceases to amaze me. Um, you probably will eat them. And I was like, ah, I don't think I am going to eat them because I have rights. <laughs> and so, of course, my dad kind of like perked up and like put his fork down. <laughs> my mom's like, this will be fun. This is fun, right? I have two sisters and, you know, I have a younger one that's just super antagonistic. And she's like, here we go. It's on like Donkey Kong, right? And he's like, you do? And I was like... Yeah, I, uh, I learned today that this is a democracy, and, uh, and I have rights. I have rights that are awarded to me, and I have the right to say no to a cursed lima bean. And so I'm exercising my right to say no. It's like, wow, that's great. I'm glad you're learning things in school. And uh, I knew it wasn't going to end well based on his excitement to uh, engage me. <laughs> and so uh, he said, I know exactly what you're talking about with these rights because my dad was in the Navy. And he said, uh, I actually fought for free. I was like, right. He's like, right. I didn't fight so that you would be a spoiled brat and get in your way. I fought for your freedom. It's like, Right. So I'm, I'm seeing there's a difference maybe. I'm not, I'm not sure what's at play. And he goes, let me clarify something though for you, son. Which when he called me son didn't work out too well either. He said, uh, the democracy of the United States of America ends at our front door. And here, in this home, we have a dictatorship. And he's like, and me and your mother are the dictators. And so what we say goes. And so my mom goes, oh, honey, honey. And I was like, all right, here we go. I'm the only son. Mommy, <laughs> take the lima beans. I love you. I love you like a mother. <laughs> anyway, uh, so she goes, honey, honey. And kind of, she goes, it's a benevolent dictatorship. <laughs> She's like, we give you food, and we give you clothes, and we give you a lot of things, but make no mistake, it is a dictatorship. And I was like, you gotta be kidding me. He's like, no, you're, uh, you're gonna eat your lima beans. We both know that. And I was like, 
yeah, I'm kind of getting that sense, Dad. I'm kind of, kind of getting that sense. I'm going to eat these lima beans. And he said, but you know what? You know what? I feel a little bit moved by what it is that you learned in school. And so I do want to bring a little bit more democracy into this benevolent dictatorship. He looked at my mom, benevolent dictatorship. He said, so I will award you some rights. And I was like, here we go, loophole. I love this. And he's like, so I'm going to award you this right. You have the right to remain silent. Thanks, <laughs> <laughs> Ed. And so I ate the steak and lima beans. And the question I have for you guys this morning is, why are we so passionate about our rights? Why are we so passionate about our rights? I have a right to this. It's my right. I think it's because we're enamored with our freedom. Let me explain a little bit. In the United States, as all of you know, we have this incredible gift of freedom that men and women have awarded us because of their willingness to fight, and some of them even lay down their lives so that we can have freedom. And I gotta tell you, the freedom that we have that I'm extremely thankful for awards us the opportunity to even gather this morning and have a freedom of religion, right? We can gather this morning because of the men and women that have fought for our freedom. And so I'm not marginalizing our rights or our freedoms or anything like that. It's an incredible gift. But I think freedom without awareness leads to entitlement. Say it one more time. Freedom without awareness leads to entitlement. And don't worry, I'm not going to get political. I'm not going to talk about any of the dynamic of the roads that I could go down with that. I'm talking about how that principle comes true even within Scripture and within the church. That freedom without awareness leads to entitlement. And our freedom in the United States came at a price came at a price, and it's our awareness of that price that tempers our sense of entitlement. So I want you to think about that. It's our awareness. Consider the idea of awareness, because this sense of awareness is what Paul is addressing in chapter 8. To give you a little bit of context, you look at face value, and is he talking about food offered to idols? Of course he is, but he's talking about something underneath that, this idea of awareness, and we're going to unpack as we go through. But to give a little bit of context about chapter 8 and the issues and the questions that the Corinthian Christians are kind of having concerning uh, meat offered to idols, honestly, has got to be a little bit confusing for us. Like, how does this text translate into our life? Why does this matter to us? I don't know a lot of places that are like, hey, uh, ooh, you know what? You just went through the drive-thru at the idol-worshipping Burger King. So you're going to have to find your meat somewhere else. Like there, this, this tension doesn't really exist within our culture at face value the way he talks about it. But oftentimes, in that time, uh, meat was uh, rarely offered. It was a luxury awarded mostly to the wealthy. Uh, when meat was used, it was in moments of celebration. And so you see that within scripture where a fatted calf was killed in a celebration. And that's a significant thing. Meat was not easy to come by. The only, uh, the only reason that animals were killed, besides the uh, wealthy wanting to consume them, was in idol worship or in any type of sacrifice. And so it's kind of interesting that in order to wrap your mind around what's happening here, we have to realize that predominantly the meat that was available in that day was available because an animal had been killed as a, as a sacrifice to an idol in a temple. And so as a result, this meat becomes available for sale to the public. They're not going to let it rot. 
And so this meat oftentimes butchers were found either across from the temple or right within these pagan temples so that as animals were slaughtered, uh, the pagan priests would take their share and then any type of meat that was left over uh, was either cooked in order to maintain its quality or sold immediately. Now, there were other situations where animals were slaughtered for the purpose of uh, typical sale, and you didn't distinguish between the two, because it didn't occur to anybody uh, outside of the Christian faith to care. Now, as this meat is laid out, it's kind of like, well, how do I choose which meat is offered to an idol and which meat hasn't been offered to an idol? And so the, the Corinthian Christians are kind of saying, like, hey, is it sin for me to buy meat? Like, should I just not eat meat anymore, or is it okay to eat meat offered to idols? And in fact, we're going to talk about how they were kind of right in their perspective, and we'll talk about that in just a second. But to understand the depth of what's happening a little bit more, there were dinner parties held in homes, oftentimes in wealthy homes, and a lot of the people in the Corinthian church were uh, were a, a mixture of socioeconomic class, and so some of them were the wealthy, and some of them were the poor, and, and the poor were saying, like, listen, anytime I have an opportunity to eat meat, I really should, like, I need to, I want to, I'd love to try it someday, I'm poor and dying. Um, and the wealthy were like, hey, we serve dinner parties, and we have meat everywhere, and so uh, should we stop doing that? And so there were a lot of questions. The, the other question was, if I'm invited uh, to a home and they offer me meat, is that the point where I say, hey, we're not sure if that was offered to an idol, so I'm going to abstain. Does that make sense? Or is it sin for me to to eat that meat? And uh, there's another layer. Uh, What would happen is when the temple would get kind of overrun with a lot of meat, rather than allowing it to rot, uh, there would be public celebrations that would be done, and oftentimes right in the temple where they would say, hey, we're going to provide meat to the whole community. And so they would allow the meat to be available to everyone. And for some people, it was the only time in their life that they would have opportunity to consume meat because they couldn't afford it. And so they would actually go into the pagan temples in order to eat this meat that had been offered to an idol. And so they're, they're trying to negotiate, like, what does this look like? Should we abstain from the consumption of meat? Is it a, a problem to, to eat meat that's offered to, to idols? And so Paul says something in, in verse 1 of chapter 8. He says, now concerning food offered to idols, addressing their question directly, we know that, and then it's in quotes, because this is something that the Corinthians said. They said, all of us possess knowledge. And so uh, the Corinthians are saying, like, we all have knowledge, and so we know that these, these idols are fake. What's the big deal? We should be able to eat meat if we want to eat meat. Right, Paul? Right? And so he quotes them and he says, you know what? Um, you're right. All of us possess knowledge. And he says this knowledge, in quotes, puffs up. But love builds up. We all possess knowledge. It's in quotations because uh, as they're kind of saying this, Paul is addressing the root issue here. With the Corinthian church, they have an obsession with intellect, with the Corinthian culture. This idea of pride and prominence and self-worth and um, self being the only thing that matters, the absolute. And so it, this is a culture impressed with their own uh, sophistication and their own knowledge. Again, a whole culture of philosophers and intellect. And so uh, they're, they're held tightly to their individualism and their personal rights. Sounds familiar, right? It sounds a little bit like America. It's kind of interesting. We, we think oftentimes that the, the Bible doesn't have a lot of application today, but if you look into uh, Corinth, 
you see a lot of the cities of today. And Paul says, knowledge puffs up. Literally what this means is that knowledge makes you proud. That you get arrogant. That with head knowledge, you become entitled. But love builds. Love builds. And you might be tempted to kind of stop there and conclude that the answer is simply love. You know what? Paul is so right. If we could just love each other, we'd all get along. If we just said we'd love each other, we'd be running in fields. There'd be flowers everywhere. We'd high-five all the time. High-fives are for souls. I don't understand it unless you're playing a sport. <laughs> it's so awkward to me when people are like, hey! I'm like, I want to take a picture and show you. You should be ashamed. Anyway. Side note. Yeah, right. A little ADD happening there. But we might be tempted, tempted to just say, listen, if we could just all get along, we just loved people, everything would be okay. And so I have a question. How has that been working since the beginning of time? It doesn't. It doesn't work. And, and the reason why it doesn't work is simply say, just love each other. Because here's the deal. I look at my kids and say, don't you love each other? And they're like, yeah, it's my sister, it's my brother. Then why? Why this right now? If there's love, then why the anger? I know why. It doesn't work because at the end of the day, I love myself. And you love yourself more than we love others. You can sit there and say, not me, and congratulations, you can lie to yourself until you're blue in the face, but it doesn't matter if you're a Christian this morning, if you're far from God, if you're a human being with blood coursing through your veins, you are a person who is bent towards self. And it's, it's a fight that you fight all the time. You love your spouse if you're married, and yet there's this idea of caring about yourself just a little bit more. What it is that you deserve. What it is that you want, what your rights are. And so it doesn't work for us to just say let's love others because at the end of the day, if we're more concerned about ourselves and about our freedom and our rights, then it's not going to work. So we're doomed. That's what Paul is saying. Thank you for coming to Sunday. <laughs> if we're left to our own vices, then we really are doomed. We can just love to a certain extent, and then we just top out, and that's it. And we say, well, now it's my turn. When do I get what I want? Something amazing happens here in, in verse 2. Paul says something. He says, if anyone imagines that he knows something, he does not yet know as he ought to know. I love the statement because I've said it before as we've kind of navigated some of what Paul has written. He, he leans towards this idea that like, until you realize that you don't know much about something, you don't know anything. You know what I mean? Like, when people say that they know a lot about something, they're just kind of proving that they don't know enough to realize that they don't know much of anything. Like, we walk around with iPhones and technology and stuff, and I just look at it, and to the degree in which I think I know how to use that, I am proven time and time again to be a fool. Because there's so much more complexity. There's so much more to it. And Paul is saying, listen, until you get to the end of your knowledge and realize that maybe you don't know as much as you think you know, you're not available to hear what really matters. He continues on in verse 3. He says, but 
anyone loves God, he is known by God. So something interesting happens in the text between verse 2 and verse 3. In verse 2, we have this active verb of know. It's used three times. Knows something. Know as he ought to. Know. Know. This idea, this active verb, they know. And then it switches to a passive one. A passive form is known. What Paul's doing, listen, he's saying, anyone imagines that he knows something. He does not yet know as he ought to know. But if anyone loves God, he is known by God. Paul is saying that the origin of knowledge is God. The origin of knowledge is God. So let's kind of practically put it together here. So he says, knowledge, Corinthian knowledge, destroys community. But Christian, God-focused knowledge builds up community. I'll switch it a little bit. American knowledge, I know so much, destroys community. Because here's the problem with knowledge. It's finite. I know it. The end. End of conversation. I know it. I have rights. I have freedom. Conversation over. I'm entitled. The end. But, Christian, God-centered knowledge builds up community. In other words, I love you. It's possible that I may be wrong. Or, I'm right, but I'm willing to admit that it's not helpful or loving. That I'm right. Totally different. Christian knowledge. What do I mean by that? It's kind of this loose idea or concept. Paul is saying that to love God is to be known by Him. To love God is to be known by Him. Not to know God is to be known by Him. Right? Not, hey, if I know enough about God, then God knows me. He's super impressed with my intellect and biblical knowledge. No, love. Love. Listen, there's a difference between head knowledge versus being relationally known. I was on a, a mission field, on the mission field that I've had the opportunity to take several different mission trips to different countries. And uh, early on in, uh, in ministry, I've, I've been in, uh, a pastor for 20 years now, and early on, I don't remember the exact year, I was on a mission trip, and I had an interaction uh, with a missionary, and I was in their home, and we were having a conversation. I was a young minister and uh, maybe just kind of impressed with what I knew. And uh, we had a conversation about spiritual things and I thought, this is my time to really impress the missionaries. And so uh, I started to just talk about all of the theological knowledge that I had on this topic. And, um, and surprisingly, this woman wasn't engaging me in the theological knowledge. She said, well, I don't, I don't really know about that. I was like, I don't really know about that. And I thought, I'm the man. You know, like, holy cow, like, there's this missionary in this mission field doing these amazing things. I'm like, I know more about theological stuff than she does. And so we're having this conversation. She's like, wow, that's really insightful. I never knew that. I never knew that. And uh, so I went to bed that night feeling pretty impressed with myself. And uh, because of the time change, I woke up at 4 o'clock in the morning. 
it was horrifying. Um, because I was super tired from traveling and everything. And so I heard some muttering. And uh, I went out to see uh, what it was, and I smelled some coffee. And so as I made my way out, um, I saw these missionaries out there. And it's funny, I'm getting a little bit emotional about it, because it was so fresh in my mind. I saw her praying, and I realized um, she knew God more than I did. I knew more about God than she did, but she knew God better than I. And I just sat there completely humbled, feeling like an absolute idiot as I watched her engage her Savior in a way that I had never engaged God. And I was so humbled by it, and I think it's a snapshot of what Paul is talking about here, that knowledge puffs up. And I'm not speaking against knowledge. I'm all for gaining knowledge, but it's not knowledge alone. When knowledge alone is part of the equation, we just get puffed up and impressed and proud and entitled about what we know and what we deserve. And all. But when it's tempered by that relational awareness, that love factor, to be known by God, there's a difference between knowing about God and knowing God. Maybe this morning you've been on a, a journey of trying to get to know God and you've leaned in with your brain 110%. I want to challenge you to connect your heart to what it is that your brain knows. What is the character of God in the midst of the situation of your life? The difficulty or the joy? What is it that, that God knows about that situation? When was the last time... You express love to God, not out of an obligatory scripture read or a moment of prayer before you eat your lima beans or whatever, but to be known by God. As Christians, and so I'm speaking just to the Christians right now for a moment, our actions should be informed by who God is. The way we act should be informed by who God is. To everyone else in the room and to, to the rest of the room as a whole, there is no relationship found in legalism. To the non-Christian this morning, it's not about rule following. It's about a relationship. And the rules and the following of the rules, the need to do right will crush you if it's not coming from a source of who God is. And the conviction of the Holy Spirit to say, I'm not going to enter into that because of who God is. Because of his love for me. You can do the right thing for the wrong reason. I've said that before. You can do the right thing for the wrong reason. It's a heart condition. But here's the thing that I'm going to add to that this morning. Not only can you do the right thing for the wrong reason, you can do the right thing and be wrong. You can do the right thing and be wrong wrong. All you rule followers are like, no! But look, verse 4 through 6, Paul says, he says, therefore, as to the eating of food offered to idols, we know that in, in quotes, an idol has no real existence. And so he's speaking to what it is that the Corinthians have said. They're saying, we can eat this meat, right? Because we know that they're fake idols. We can eat what we want. We have the right to eat it. And, and he goes on, he says, and 
that there is no God but one. You're right. Hey, Corinthian Christians, you're right. You're right. For although there may be so-called little g-gods in heaven or on earth, as indeed there are many little g-gods and many lords, yet for us there is one God, the Father, from whom all things and for whom we exist. One Lord, Jesus Christ, through whom all things and through whom we exist. You are right. But, or how he says it, verse 7, however, however, not all possess this knowledge. Not all possess this knowledge. But some, through former association with idols, eat food as, as really offered to an idol. I want to stop there for a second. Not all possess knowledge. It's interesting, he's doubling back on what he started with their quote in the beginning in verse 1. He says, all possess knowledge, right? And then in verse 7 he goes, but here's the deal. Not everybody possessed that knowledge. Not everybody has the knowledge that you have. Their knowledge is hung up on what? He calls a former association. A former association, what it means in the original text is really what they're accustomed to or a force of habit. What Paul is saying is that some of us have habits from a former life that were destructive. And so in verse 7, if we continue on, he says, so you have, not all of us possess this knowledge, some through former association with idols. So there are some who have former habits of actually worshiping these idols. And so when they eat the food, it's as if it's really offered to an idol and their conscience, being weak, is defiled. Weak conscience. What does that even mean? Because when you read this at face value, I'd be like, so what's the problem, Paul? Like, I'm right, and their consciences are weak. They need to grow up. Like, what's the deal? I don't understand the problem. I'm right, and they're weak. Sweet. Makes sense to me. They gotta grow up. I'm about to go have a hamburger. <laughs> but that's not actually what's happening right here. He's talking about weak conscience, and conscience is translated as this idea of self-awareness. Awareness. To know oneself. So he's he's literally saying that some of them have weak self-awareness. They have weak knowledge of oneself. So check this out. We have to be aware that some Christians are not fully aware of their identity in Christ. Awareness that freedom has a price. Awareness that Jesus laid down his life and paid a price for their freedom, for their eternity. Not for their rights, but for their salvation. Not so that they can be entitled. Not because they're a spoiled brat that wants what they want. But a freedom that runs so much deeper. And if we lack that awareness, we come to a place of entitlement. Come to a place to say, this is my right. That person needs to grow up. So let's put a little feet to it. In something that I experienced early on in my youth ministry years. There was a a teenager that had started coming to our youth ministry. He was new to his faith. And uh, he was struggling with a lot of things. Um, 
I won't go into a lot of detail, um, but there was a, a lot of issues um, with sexual things in his life. And um, a, a real stronghold in the area of pornography and things like that that, um, that were really rooted in his relationship with his parents and, and just a lot of things going on in his life. A lot of backstory. And at the time, there was a, a movie that had come out in theaters. It was the first movie that was rated NC-17 to be permitted in public theaters. It was a big deal. I don't know if any of you are old enough to remember that. But um, I remember that it was uh, essentially uh, a pornographic film. It was soft porn on some level. And it was in public theaters. My wife and I, we didn't have children yet. And uh, I asked her to try to figure out what movie we were going to see. I can't remember what it was. Um, but it wasn't that one, obviously. And so we were at the theater, though. We went and watched a movie, and we were coming out. And as we were coming out of the theater, um, I see this guy. And he's standing there. And his face is like jarred, and he's looking around, and he's not sure what to do. And I'm thinking, what is his problem? And my first thought was, he's going to go see that movie. And then my second thought was, he thinks I went and saw that movie. <laughs> and so I went over to him, and I said, hey, man, how's it going? He's like, good. And I was like, crazy night, huh? There's a ton of people. He's like, yeah. I was like, it's probably because of that new movie coming out. He's like, yeah, yeah. I was like, we didn't go and see that movie. He's like, oh, you didn't? I'm like, no. He's like, okay, well, I just don't know. Like, you know, I mean, because, you know, like, you, you know, you, you've been saying, like, I got to have victory over that, and my friends are trying to, you know, you know, get me to go watch that, but I'm a new person, and so I just don't know. Like, I mean, I used to just not think, like, it's just a movie. Like, who cares? Like, it's just a movie. So I'm old enough. I'm 17. Like, I can go to it. And I was like, well, that's between you and God, but I want to let you know that we didn't go see it. He's like, yeah, that helps. That helps a lot. So you wouldn't go see it? I was like, I wouldn't go see it. And he's like, all right. You know, that helps. I was kind of confused. He's like, but I was like, okay, whatever. Like, you know, you got your wife with you. Like, I guess that's cool. Right? <laughs> this weak conscience. This weak conscience. This unformed identity in who God is and who he is in Christ. And so in that moment, he's struggling. Like, wait, what's allowed? What are the rules? What's dangerous? What's not dangerous? Is this okay? I don't know. Like, if my wife's with me, is it cool? I don't know. And so I had a conversation with my wife afterwards, and I said, listen, I think we need to make a decision that when we go to the movies, we look at all the movies that are showing. And if we're not willing to be assumed as going to one of them, we just don't go to the movies that night. And that's the rules that we have functioned according to. And so I'm not saying that that's a rule to you. I'm not. I'm not. I'm saying that it's a freedom to go to the movies whenever you want that me and my wife have decided to lay down because of an experience that we had where we could have accidentally caused a teenager to stumble in their faith. So that's, it's, it's an example. It's a real-day example of navigating what it looks like to be willing to say, I have this freedom. I have this right. But you know what? Maybe it's just not worth it. If that's going to be the outflow, then I can lay that right down. I'm not telling you that this morning to tell you you can't go to movies or to tell you that you can't go to, to movies when there's an inappropriate one. I'm telling you so you understand how it is that this has gotten feet in our lives. So let's put it all together. If we have more than just head knowledge, but love God, and have our identity in Him, it becomes easy 
to lay aside what we have a right to do. Because our actions, they cause someone else still forming their identity in Christ to fall victim to a former destructive habit. The world around us is so passionate about their rights. But on second thought, Christians should say, my rights aren't as important as you. And so that's why in verse 13, I love that Paul's just like, hey, in case you don't understand what I'm saying, verse 13, therefore, if food makes my brother stumble, I will never eat meat, lest I make my brother stumble. I love the way he just sums it up. He's like, so here's the deal. In case you guys are confused, if this is a struggle for some people, I'll never eat meat again. Who cares? I am now vegan. <laughs> Paul, not me. No, <laughs> but we, we see the application of where Paul's just laying it all out. He's saying, listen, don't hold so tightly to the things that you think you're entitled to that it causes this, this struggle in other people. Are, are we loving other people or are we so sophisticated in our mind and we know so much that we're willing to say, I have a right to do that. I'm right. I don't know what the application is for you in your life this morning. I don't know if it's attached to a movie theater or not. I doubt that it is. I'm, I'm not sharing that story to impose it on. For some of you, maybe things need to be renegotiated. I want to ask you a question that might seem at face value to be loosely connected until I connect it. The question I want you to leave this place considering is application. So who do you need to ask for forgiveness? Who do you need to ask for forgiveness? Let me explain. For some of you this morning, your application to this message is to ask God for forgiveness. To ask Him to be the Lord and leader of your life. You've been falling victim to the idols of assigning worth and worship to the things of a, of a life that is not bringing you anything. And you're in this hamster wheel of, of pain and void and there's a God-shaped hole in your life and maybe this morning your application is to say, God, will you forgive me? I want you to be the Lord and leader of my life. For others of you, you have intentionally or uncarefully, uncaringly offended someone else. Maybe it's affected their capacity to hear about who God is because of an offense that just does not matter. It's just, it's an offense. And so as a result of an offense that you were potentially right in, You've shut the door to be able to have spiritual influence and spiritual conversations. Were you right? Yeah. Who cares? If you really love people, if you really are living on mission, if this, if this life isn't about you, if it's not about more of what you can get, then, then isn't their life, their eternity more important than you being right? I'm not saying take one on the cheek and uh, you know, be like, oh, I was wrong. It's okay to be right and still be gracious. Say, I love you more than I love being right or wrong. Maybe some of you, the application is to ask God for forgiveness in your unwillingness to love. 
prayer to say, God, would you increase my capacity to love the unlovable in my life? We all have people in our lives that we're like, they're so unlovable. They are so unlovable. So maybe your application this morning is to say, God, would you, would you forgive me for my unwillingness to love? I'm so puffed up in the knowledge of my own salvation that I haven't been willing to humble myself and, and love someone else the way they should be loved, the way you would love them. For others of you, you need to consider rights that maybe you need to lay aside so that you can build up. Maybe there's opportunities of things where there's been hurdles because of a, a right have. It's diminished your capacity to reach people. There's a pastor friend of mine that's located down in the city, and uh, he's African American. He was getting a lot of flack of people he was trying to reach because he was eating pork. He was trying to reach a specific people group. And so in the beginning, he was like, they gotta get over this. It's just, it's me. What's the big deal? Then he realized, wait a second. Trying to reach these people. I can go without pork. I can do that. And so he just stopped eating pork. Eats fish, and that's it. Why? So he can have a voice in their lives. So that they don't dismiss him immediately. So when they ask him, oh yeah, when was the last time pork passed your lips? You can say, I gave that up. He has the authority to speak with love to people. I don't know what it looks like in your environment. I don't pretend to know all of your work environments and the things that may be an offense to someone that is your right, but would you just consider, would you just consider that maybe there's something you're holding tightly to that you need to lay down in order to have a voice in someone else's life? If you would, just bow your heads this morning. I want you to consider some of those applications. If this morning you were saying, you know, for me, it's, it's the Lord. I need to come into relationship with God. I've been kind of playing this game of uh, maybe church attendance or maybe not church attendance. I, I don't really know to the depth that it, that it looks in your life, but I also don't know how real your relationship with that, that God is. And that's part of the reason why I don't have you raise your hands or lift up your head or anything, because you can, you can have a momentary response and even an emotional response, but it doesn't doesn't have any handles in your life, any feet to it. If it's just a momentary response, it's not for me, it's, it's for you. And so this morning, if you haven't crossed that line of faith, it's as simple as praying a prayer in the quietness of your mind. Say, Lord, I know that my freedom, my salvation comes at a price. It's the price that you paid on the cross for my sins. Lord, would you forgive me? Come and be the Lord and leader of my life. Pray some variation of that prayer this morning. God's going to come into your life and it's going to begin a relationship that's far deeper than head knowledge. For others of us in this room, I want you to consider what the application is as we go into a time of response. We worship the Lord this morning that we would consider Holy Spirit is kind of pointing to in our hearts what it is that we have to do and how we have to respond. Maybe this morning 
you're struggling with a weak conscience yourself. Maybe you're the one that it's not self-aware that you're a child of the living God if you choose to be. Maybe you're the one that's, that's willing to fall victim to the traps, the habits of your former life because you don't realize the freedom awarded to you. Maybe your application this morning is to just declare that you need, you need more awareness of who God is in your life. 